Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pod Canada, episode 34. Here we are af- off the back of Larkana's biggest tournament to date, Thea's 1K, online 1K, that had over 300 players in it. Every single person on the Pod Canada team competed. One made top eight. You'll never guess who it was. It was uh, the man sitting next to me, Moyen. So unfortunately, we're not joined by Kava this week. He had something come up, but we do have a lot of content to break down. We all competed in this tournament. I think that our... Some of our opinions, or at least some of my opinions, on the metagame have changed, and to an extent, quite drastically, so I'm happy to dive into that. The top eight of this tournament, again, the biggest tournament uh, in Lorcana's history, was seven of eight were Ruby Amethyst, and there one was one Sapphire Steel in there. We'll break that down a little bit, too, talk about how we think that is uh, for the health of the game, if we think that's a problem, etc. And also, top 16, what did that look like? Uh, but yeah, overall, my experience in the tournament, <clears throat> it was a really cool tournament. It was, it was great to get everybody, sort of everybody in one place. You had the Pixaborn grinders, you had, you know, old Hearthstone players, you had the sort of, you know, people from Pokemon, Magic, Flesh and Blood, etc. So it was a great experience. Um, and yeah, really fun tournament at that. Moyen, I know you made top eight. I know you ended up playing Ruby Amethyst. We talked on this podcast multiple times about the chances of like, is is, is Moyen going to play the flutes? You know, maybe Moyen, is he going to lose his mind? Is he going to play discard? But he ends up on Ruby Amethyst. Talk to me about why you made that decision and why you thought it was the correct metagame call. Um, it was basically the default pick and I spent my time trying to test if it was uh, worth deviating from that pick and it really wasn't plus uh, I or we found a few good techs and ways to uh, tech for the meta but also the mirror and that left me uh, very confident in picking that Ruby Amethyst list. Yeah, and of course, as uh, as on every podcast episode, any of the deck lists we talk about, any of the tournaments we talk about, link in the description below. So if you want to follow along, go there. But let's talk about some of that tech you include in your deck because I did not. But it's funny because the the way you phrase it, you're like I or we. It's definitely just you. But there's a little caveat because there's a card that I called that in preview season. I was very very high on it, super high on it. Yeah, but didn't end up playing it's- it once the set came out. <laughs> If you if you didn't tell me the card existed a few parts ago, maybe I, I wouldn't have bought it. So it's the, we're talking about Peter Pan's Shadow here, mm-hmm. where a few parts ago we were discussing how much Ruby Amethyst do we need to be expecting to actually play this card. And I think I said something crazy, like 60-70%. But thinking about it more, I think the number is much lower than that. The card's actually very decent on its own, but extremely swingy in, in, in the mirror. It can actually win you games that were otherwise unwinnable. And I'm sure there's um, a, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are like Peter Pan Shadow. What is that card? I've never heard of it. Tell me a little bit about what that card does and why it's so good um, in Ruby Amethyst. You know, particularly in the mirror, but does it also have use cases in other matchups? Um, so Peter Pan Shadow is a four ink uninkable two uh, three with rush that says all your rush characters gain evasive, which. And it, and it's also it's also evasive itself. So it's 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 an uninkable pongo with incredible amount of upside. Um, so what you can do with it is you can it doesn't kill mini on its own, which why which is at first why I thought it wasn't actually that good in the mirror, but it can help killing off a mini if you have a mini on your own. Uh, if you tempo a rush mem that represents uh, being able to kill mini on the next turn if you then play Peter Pan Shadow on 4. And it also uh, makes it so 
Maui, which is usually a very bad card in the mirror, uh, suddenly becomes a very good card in the mirror that's capable of clearing... Um, that's actually... It's not just capable of clearing mini, but, but another strength of the card that also comes into play in other matchups is suddenly your um, your washers, that value trade, don't just get traded back on the next turn. They're actually evasive. And it's very annoying for your opponent to deal with, so they either have to use... Uh, single target removal or something to remove it, or you will get a, another profitable token that you get to choose on the next turn. So overall, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with the card. <laughs> and there was some other text in the tournament, uh, how people thought they would tech against mini. Uh, one of the most prominent ones that was also seen in a couple of different uh, decks that people brought in top eight uh, was Fidget, which is a three ink, three two, uh, evasive, but that just quests for one, uh, which surface level is a bad card, but if mini is the best best evasive, that is a very reasonable tech for it. The only issue with it is um, that people were able to play around it a little bit more because we had open decklists in top 8, but also now that um, it's a little bit more known of a tech, I think uh, Tief and Ambitions, for other reasons also, but I think Tief and Ambitions will make a comeback into the meta, being played a little bit more than it was. I think it was already played quite a bit, but we didn't like it uh, in the part here. Yeah. And I think it's going to come back, which will make Fidget less of a good tech. Absolutely. So Fidget is like, uh, if you want to draw a sort of analog to set one, is a way better Jetsam, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said... Fidget dies to literally everything in set two. It dies to grab your swords. It dies to fire the cannons. It dies to teeth and ambitions. It gets value trade. I mean, it's just, it, there's, there's problems for sure. But Fidget versus Minnie Mouse, really good for Fidget. So well, I remember we were looking at the list going in the top eight. I saw Fidget and I was like, oh, I missed that card. <laughs> I, I yeah. was like, that's a problem. <laughs> okay. I forgot that that card existed because we didn't have teeth and ambitions in our decks. So I was like, oh, that's going to be a problem. So uh, kudos to everybody that brought that card. I think it was a great tech for the tournament. Fidget is also inkable, so it's a very it's a very flexible card at that. Um, so I was really impressed. I just want to talk about our tournament uh, our tournament like experience, tournament report. I'll start with me because mine was a little bit shorter than you. I unfortunately couldn't play the whole tournament because I had some prior commitments that day. Uh, nevertheless, it went pretty well. I played a lot of mirrors. <laughs> uh, Ruby Amethyst mirrors. I played Ruby Amethyst as well. I played, I played a list a little bit different to Moyen, actually. Uh, I played just our traditional list, our older list, um, which didn't have Peter Pan Shadow, but I did uh, include some Merlins, the crabs, to get those trades on the minis. Um and then nothing too crazy after that. I just didn't have as much practice. So I was like, I'm just going to play sort of a standard deck list here. And I don't think that my losses would be attributed to my deck list in the sense that if I'd switched over to Moines, it would have been any better. Um, I lost the Ruby Amethyst Mirror at one point, I think, to playing a bit inefficiently, taking some suboptimal lines. Um, it could have been winnable. I'm not 100% sure. All I know is that during that game, there were there were points where I took suboptimal lines, which were mostly due to lack of practice and just lack of pattern recognition. And then I also got absolutely shit on by amber ruby so shout out to everybody who was mentioning that deck and you know i was very confident into it and i am not anymore um i think that is largely attributed to our deck not having teeth and ambitions the amber amber ruby deck seems like it is 
extremely contingent on drawing cards off Mother Gothel um, to the extent that I think if you teeth in ambitions of Mother Gothel before Rapunzel comes down, the game almost ends instantly unless they have the second Rapunzel. But it feels like in order to compete with Ruby Amethyst, that deck needs its draw engine at least early or Ruby Amethyst will outvalue it in the late game and will have better card quality. The issue that Ruby Amethyst, I think, has into that deck list is that deck list is extremely aggressive. And Ruby Amethyst has always has always suffered against aggression, but it can usually you know stave it off, and then go into the mid game, and you know extend the game a bit, maybe win the game there, can play a bit of tempo with the minis, and extend into the late game where Ruby Amethyst really is the most powerful deck in the game. That being said, what what this deck does, what what this Amber Ruby deck does, is that it is both extremely aggressive, but also a very very good early, late late early game and mid game deck because it draws three cards off Mother Gothel. So it's dumping its hand on the board, being extremely aggressive, and then beating you in card advantage as Ruby Amethyst. At least in this mid game, you're like, oh my god, how do I beat this? <laughs> and then the Mufasa comes down, and you're like, okay, okay, I was wrong about that deck. Maybe Teeth and Ambitions should have been in my deck list. Um, so those are my losses, and then I had to drop because I had to leave. But Moyen did make top eight. Moyen, we're going to go and you know, main topic, we're going to be talking about deck list, metagame, all that kind of stuff. But if you could sort of sum up your tournament experience quickly, well, how would you? Quickly. Yeah. I mean, what would you say? Uh -huh. Like, did you have any, like, wh like, what was your path like to top eight? Like, what was your record? How close was it? Was there any matches that stood out? Okay. Um, so overall, it was a great experience. Um, I also faced, so every, everyone I faced was, was very respectful. And there was also a few listeners of the pod, which uh, got me very excited. I don't know how much reach we already have. <laughs> um, so I, I've played against a few different Amber decks, and then as my score improved, I played against more and more Ruby Amethyst Mirrors, which my deck was very good for. Uh, one, I lost one of the Mirrors, and I lost against the Sapphire Steel, which I faced again in top 8, mm -hmm. which we come come to later. Um, so oh, during the entire tournament, I, I knew... I, 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 I kept track of my tiebreakers, and my tiebreakers were absolutely insane. They were like above, um, wide margin above everyone else's, so I knew if I went 7-2, I would make it, uh, which which I did. A final round, I played against Ducky, which was also notable, where I went into game three, we were completely fried. He was playing a Ruby, Ruby Sapphire, mm -hmm. um, which was a very uncommon deck and also a, kind of a complicated deck and matchup to play. It it went into time, but we we did get to finish it. Um, so that was great, and then, yeah, and in to in top eight, I got the the Sapphire Steel again, which I s I think maybe with my list it's actually not that good of a matchup, but I think with the list that I'm going to play in the future, I I still think it's it's Ruby Amethyst favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the tournament itself it was pretty long, mm -hmm. especially for you. I know you started a bit later in the day than I did, so it started early morning for me because I'm in the United States. But boy, you were up pretty late into the night playing this tournament, and they played they they played top eight day two. By the way, they they extended it to two days. How how long was the tournament for you? How late did you end up being um, up? So when did when did you start? I think I started. Uh, was it six p.m. or four? Uh, I I don't really remember, but. So it, in total, it was nine rounds, and every round, on average, took a little bit more than an hour because mm -hmm. the round itself takes like 50 minutes, but then it goes into like five turn rule. Maybe there's some disputes, so uh, it must have taken around 10 hours the Swiss day. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was like, 
I had to leave my house. I was at like a different location. Like I said, I go to like this birthday party. I remember just checking my phone for Discord updates and with Moy, and it's like, is he going to top eight? Is he winning his games, etc. Um, so that was exciting. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that tournament and just talk about some news and go into our listener question section. We'll circle back around. We'll talk specifically about that steel uh, that steel sapphire list and some of the other lists we saw and where we think the metagame lands right now. But I want to talk about another tournament that happened that weekend. Significantly less players, but it happened at SEG Con, which is a very you know, it's a very prestigious tournament organizer. I mean, this is a legit tournament. It's about as legit as it gets when it comes to playing in paper or SEG Con. So Cincinnati decklist. Just want to talk about the top eight. There was 95 players. And of course, you see Ruby Amethyst. You see the usual suspect, but there is a lot of Steel Amethyst in this top eight. This is a deck that me and Moyen were both testing quite a bit and lead up to the the you know Theus tournament this this past weekend. Um, we ultimately ended up not playing the list, and I have my you know, my issues with it. But Moyen, what do you think about this this color combination now seeing you know, the directions that other people are potentially taking with that. I, I remember seeing Howling Mind specifically, a Flesh and Blood player, was on this deck list for Theos Tournament and did have some card uh, card includes that we didn't have in our deck list. And, um, you know, fu- honestly, fundamentally, my conclusions of this deck list is not, it's not favorite to Ruby Amethyst. I do not like yeah. this deck into Ruby Amethyst. So it's also a little bit based on how we build our Ruby Amethyst that we just don't really think it's unfavored against, uh, against Steel Amethyst. Because we all we always in every version we had the four for Ursulas, we we like to play books and that that all both of those I mean a book can hurt against Benjus, but both of those are usually pretty good into that matchup. Um so basically what we missed is that there's like an evolution of the deck, I think. Mm-hmm. Um that improved the deck. The reason I still I, I still don't regard the deck too highly is because I think the meta has become and is becoming more and more hostile towards it, but I, I, I'll get to that. So the, the card I'm talking about is Blue Fairy, um, which is now... I don't... It's somewhat build-around, but it's also... It was already fitting the deck, so... It's not really that you're doing too much different to fit in the Blue Fairy. The Blue Fairy is just now in the deck four times and providing some nasty card draw and a little bit of evasive Lord Threat. Yeah, and for anybody um, that doesn't know, I'll read off the card, Blue Fairy, because I honestly had forgotten this card exists as well. So Blue Fairy is an Amethyst. It's a 1-1. It costs 2, can be inked. Quest for 1, but the critical text here is that it has evasive, and it says, whenever you play a Floodborne character, you may draw a card. So a little card draw engine represented on a body there. Um, yeah, so basically, the, the Sapphire Steel thing is, is huge. Uh, it's a huge downside for for Steel Amethyst because I think Sapphire Steel is just good against every other Steel deck mm-hmm. because all it does is like ramp out their ink, then uh, draw cards, but also create these boards with what's it called? Corksworth? Yep, Cogsworth. The guy that gives resist to the mm-hmm. entire board and that's just so good against Steel and Sapphire Steel is the fastest way to get this card and a board down and that's just how what steel can't really do anything against. So I think any steel deck's stonks are uh, lowering as sapphire steel stonks are, are going high. Yep. And uh, spoiler alert, I honestly, like sapphire steel blew me away. Uh, there was one in the top eight and it made it all the way to the finals. It obviously beat me more in the top eight. My experience uh, with that decklist after the tournament, playing against it as Ruby Amethyst and also playing the decklist. I am super high on that color combination. We'll dive into that, but 
I am absolutely blown away. And that was a total sleeper deck. And, you know, congratulations to the person that took that top eight because very, very impressive run. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's head to our spilled ink section, uh, which is our listener question section. If you want your question queued up for next week, shoot us a comment on YouTube. We had a ton of comments last week, so I wasn't able to get to all of them. But all right, now first question here is from Kirk. They say, I really like y'all's take on discard this week. It feels far too fragile. If it doesn't see the right hand, it's almost an auto loss to uh, to the matchup it's supposed to be good into. I'm curious as to if you're testing against Ruby Amethyst that you tried a Sapphire Amethyst build that can contest it. Um, so I just want to answer the question or, you know, the comment first regarding discard. So discard is a deck that Kawa actually played. Um, that is Emerald Steel. I think after the tournament, I'm even lower on this card, especially in something like BO3. Um, the deck, I think that the deck is honestly just kind of cheesy. I don't think the deck is actually very good, Moyen. I think the deck is looking... I, I talked about it last week where I was like, oh, the deck really wants to see its curve. It, you know, if it sees its curve, it can beat anything. Honestly, at this point, I'm starting to think that like it needs to see its curve to beat anything. You know, just like... It, it, <laughs> yes, just, it does. Yeah. It's just it sees that curve kind of a lot, which makes the deck all right, but... Not the most fun experience to play or to play against, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I was uh, so both Kala and Raven. Uh, Raven was also playing Zeklas. We're streaming, and every time I turned into their stream, they had no cards in hand, and their opponent had cards in hand and was beating them on board. And I was just like, I will never play this day. <laughs> but at the same time, shout out to Zero Skater, who's like big on mm-hmm. on Discord. Um, I think he's the guy like known for. Like popularizing it, kind of, and I think he got he was seven two or six three. He lost last round. I, th- I think if he won last round, he would have been top eight. So he was very close to making it with this card. Yeah, and it's it's possible. It's one of those deck lists that <clears throat> I haven't spent enough time with, um, so I just don't understand the actual intricacies of the deck. That being said, for my perceived power level deck, it's not a deck that I, I think I'll spend more time with. I, I really don't enjoy the deck. I don't like being having no card. I like more card advantage, more more of a draw engine. But I do feel like it was a, potentially a bit overstated, at least in the collective community, of how powerful this deck was into things like Ruby Amethyst. I, I do not think that that is the case. I think that it is a much closer matchup than from what I had initially heard. What are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, I think I think deck's all right, but I'm also not super impressed with it. And I think it beats Ruby Amethyst. Only problem is it loses. I, I think it loses to every Steel deck. I think <laughs> all the Discard believers will disagree, but I, I think Steel is its big weakness, and it doesn't beat Ruby Amethyst by enough to to one playing it if it still loses to to Steel by. And the next question here, a bit. here was uh, the, the second question part was: Have you tried a Sam uh, a Sapphire Amethyst build? Which is kind of interesting because Sapphire Amethyst like late late into set one was seen as like this counter control deck i don't know if you ever heard that narrative moyen um i think it was wrong i don't think it was ever a counter uh to ruby amethyst i think those the ruby amethyst decks it was beating were ones that weren't playing evasives um but it it is a control deck it's a version of that right so it has it has access to card draw then it has the sapphire package which can be pretty powerful what do you think about this this is a color combination i don't think we've seen at all in uh, in a set in set two yeah so i think people have tried making it work i i thought about it a lot because there's this dream scenario in your head where it's like oh i just go sapphire to to ramp then i have more resource than upon it then i don't run out of resource because i can just keep drawing cards with the amethyst, amethyst cards and so, but I think it's it's a li- unfortunately it's a little bit of a fantasy land because uh, I think if you're ramping, you're spending tempo on getting more resources, 
and then you can't spend those resources on just uh, the amethyst stuff, which is like drawing cards, gaining some gaining some lore on the side and stuff. I think after you've gained the, that ink advantage, you need to be playing either steel or, or ruby, so you can actually swing the board back and then stabilize off that. Mm-hmm. So if that's why I think sapphire ruby is okay, sapphire steel is pretty good right now, but I think uh, yeah, if you, you can't just afford to play sapphire with a color that also isn't good at swinging back the board. Agreed. All right, next one's from user. They say, great show, guys. Enjoy the content and understanding of deeper thinking and strategies. What do you think about pink, picking and playing the same deck each season and the advantage of knowing the deck versus picking the meta choice based on the previous week and making a meta call on what deck to play? In other games, there has been great success playing the best deck of the week, but also great pilots of other decks as well. So this person's talking about specialists. Um, I'm sure it exists in Hearthstone. It exists in Flesh and Blood. It exists in Magic. Um, it ties to the point that the best decks are determined Determined by the decisions of the top players more than the cards uh, as their talents rise above the deck decisions. I think that that last statement is true, but it's also slightly dependent on the game. Some games give more agency to that or more weight to that while others don't. Um, but anyway, to answer the question uh, for my thoughts, and I'll pass over to Moyen. I think that in Lorcana right now, because the card pool is so small, uh, you should probably have experience with most with most of the decks and most of the deck combinations. Uh, I don't think that specializing right now will give you too much of an advantage. I have found, uh, at least with my experience in other games, that as games age and progress, there's multiple things that are that are that are happening. Right? One is the card pool is getting larger, so it's harder to test everything. And two, the the general player base just gets better. And as the player base gets better, I think it makes more sense to specialize if you don't have the time to get experience with every single deck or be a master on every single deck. That being said, there will be outliers. Like you just mentioned, Zero Skater. Zero Skater almost took a discard list at top eight. Um, we had a Sapphire Steel make it in the top eight. Like You can absolutely still pick your two, your two favorite colors or the two colors that you like playing the most and do very, very well with that in most cases. But in my opinion, right now at this state of the game, uh, I do think that it is uh, it is better to have experience with most with most decks and mo- most color combinations, at least the top decks. Your thoughts, Moyen? Um, so for me personally, at every stage of any game, I want to know all the good decks, how they play. I want to figure out what's the best deck and get good at, especially that deck. Um, so I think. Uh, just specializing on one deck and the matchups of one deck um, is kind of, I don't want to say the lazy way, it's like the most efficient way, but then the ceiling is much lower mm-hmm. um, just from specializing on one deck. I think you, you'll do best, if you have the time, you'll do best if you get an understanding of all the different dynamics of the different decks and, and things you can do, and then being able to get good at the deck that's uh, best for the current meta. That's, mm-hmm. that, that, that is the best way. It's just uh, it's just a lot of effort. Yeah, this is a funny theoretical scenario, but I would propose this statement that if you had the choice of being mid at every deck or great at one deck, I would mm-hmm. pick great at one deck. So if yeah. you... If that yeah, so that's, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Uh, and you don't need to be great at every deck. It's just, let's say you can be great at deck A, which is like tier one right now and then it's no longer tier one it's it's going to be like tier 1.5 do you do you then try to get great at the new best deck or do you do you stay on your deck because you're kind of comfortable and you enjoy that that those are all valid things it's just uh you need to go with the flow if you want to stay stay at the top mm-hmm. i think 
All right, next one is from Orange Piggy. They say, another great episode. Thanks for discussing the list I shared last week. I'm doing more testing and Morin was right. And looking for an answer to Ruby Amethyst, the deck became very weak uh, to Flute Song slash Discard. Not sure. Uh, also, very annoyingly, Ruby Amethyst has one to two Rabbit and Friends on the other side, and you never get control of their hand in the deck. I think this is referring to Discard. The deck really struggles. My closing thoughts, uh, the deck can be a good counter to Ruby Amethyst. However, in line with Brennan's thoughts, you have, you have to very aggressively mulligan for a good discard curve and it doesn't feel consistent enough so kind of echoing our thoughts in regards to discard it's its position in the metagame and particularly its position against its you know it's so-called counter matchup i mean it still needs to find its curve against its counter matchup mm-hmm. and it it's just it, it's not favored enough for me it's not favored enough so i, I want to say i think the main uh, statement of this of this comment is that like the counters to ruby amethyst are inherently weak to to other decks which yeah. are holding the counter which is holding the counters back. And I think Sapphire Steel is not a counter to Ruby Amethyst, but I think if the Ruby Amethyst list isn't built for it, it and, and your list your Sapphire Steel deck is uh tacked towards it, I think it can be a counter. And at the same time, it doesn't need need to be a counter because it's a very good deck that's very good against basically every other deck as well. So yeah. you don't need to be a counter, but I think I think that that deck also deserves its space in the matter for sure. Next one is from Vortex. They say, I've been running the Mufasa Amber Ruby deck into Ruby Amethyst Bounce, and I felt like it was 50-50 matchup. While the deck has a decent position in the meta versus Steel decks in the discard deck, if you resolve Maui, Rapunzel, or Gotha Rapunzel, <clears throat> or you just are you just in time of Mufasa that summons a big character that you can follow up with a good two that followed up with good two for one characters like Tremaine, you are usually in a great position running a lot of two for one cards and plays that, that play through your opponent's removal. Feel strong IMO. So yeah, I mean the big sentiment here is that uh Amber Ruby is uh favored, if not good, into Ruby Amethyst. I think that yeah, I don't I don't know, to be honest. Like I played against I was playing Ruby Amethyst against this and it felt really bad for me, mostly because I just couldn't do anything about like my deck was not built in a way that I could do anything about Mother Gothel drawing three cards, which gave them more card advantage over me in the mid game, and I could not beat them on the aggressive curve. Like I had to draw my amount of mims or I instantly lost. Like I needed to I needed to aggressively mulligan for them and have them and have the perfect curve, or I instantly lost the aggression. And if I didn't lose to the aggression, I was getting out card draw in the, in the mid game and I was listening to mid game Mufasa and I was just like, ugh. Small sample so size. So for me, let, let's talk about the matchup. I think I think it's somewhat close. I just don't think it's a counter at all. Um so let's talk about what can the Ruby Amethyst deck have that would help it. So what would you want to include in your deck if you want to be good against the Mufasa deck? Um so first of all, playing-wise, I think you need to mulligan very aggressively for one drop into Snake Mim. Um, is it a snake? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. two, three, three is a snake. Okay, so you need to so you need to be doing that because that that just uh, makes your opponent unable to quest or two for ones. That that three three is just a very annoying uh, body for your opponent to deal with, or not to deal with, but like to just have sit have their sit on the board. Um, the other thing is, uh, teeth and ambitions also really helps in this matchup to so just clear an early Gothel, so they at least. If they want to Gothel Rapunzel, they have to wait until they're on six ink. And I think the other thing, which so I also faced one Mufasa uh, in my Swiss rounds. And I think the other thing that can really help is just having a few more evasive. So Peter Pan Shadow actually was very very good in that matchup, just as a <laughs> somewhat of a pongo. Yeah. And that also actually so much more of a pongo because having those uh, Maoris be evasive was also very very annoying for my opponent to deal with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, 
Next one's from Crisis Crusher. Say, hey guys, great podcast as usual. Since Ruby Amethyst is the big talk in the Lacana in the Lacana community right now, I want to ask something. Do you think Goat is the sole reason that Amethyst decks are doing so well? I play a lot of different decks on Pixelborn, and it feels like a lot of times against Ruby Amethyst decks, I get into a point where either they have to draw the goat and bounce a card to win, or I win next turn. But of course, they always seem to have both cards already, or or they draw it. To me, it seems like the goat is a very problematic card. And the reason the deck is good as it is. This is an interesting comment because I think this is a, you know, in the situations you lose to goat, it might it might feel like goat is the problem. But I really don't think that goat is the key engine or one of the sort of like fundamentally super powerful cards in Ruby Amethyst. I think it's a great tool of the deck, um, but. I think that this this the sentiment you have is being drawn from sort of results based scenarios where the goat is winning the game rather than all the goats all the games where the goat is just like a four drop on curve that effectively gets to lore or something that is inked. What are your thoughts, boy? Um, yeah, I think the the goat's pretty good, but it's it's not. I don't know. The Ruby Amethyst is beautiful. It's in in so many ways. <laughs> Every card uh, is good. <laughs> just I don't know. It can do so many different things, and it's good at so many of those. Um, so yes, one one reason why Ruby Amethyst is good is that it can keep progressing their their lore count after losing the board, which with Goat, but also with Book. So Goat is part part of that, but there's also the bounce package that's insane. There's speed prepared. There's the two for one giants in like Lady Tremaine Ursula. There's uh, there's there's so much. Uh, there's the card draw. Uh, it's just a good deck, but like. I, I don't want to see it as a problem because I think this is one of the most fun best decks in the meta we can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's an, I think it's I, I wouldn't want Discard to be the best deck in the meta. <laughs> I think that I think that would be unfun for a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Next one is from 24K Lorcana. Say, I'm really surprised that Amber Ruby got this missed or you guys think it's... Uh, it- or you guys don't think it has a good matchup. I've specifically been playing Ruby Amber currently um, because I have consistently beat Purple Red for about a record of 24 and 2. The one it struggles with at times is Green Steel if Rapunzel doesn't come down, or Amber Song if they go uh, multiple flutes. By the way, I don't know if we circle back on this, but flute is like rampant. Flute is everywhere. Flute is in like every necklace now. It's crazy. Uh, but I actually want to face nothing but Purple Red since it feels favorable. Hmm, thoughts. So we already talked about this, obviously, so I want to address this comment specifically. Uh, Regardless of what we said earlier, my biggest takeaway is that I feel like my evaluation of Ruby Amber last week, and maybe the week prior to that, was not completely accurate. I think it is better than I gave it credit for, at the very least. Sure. Honestly, yeah. I I think I I remember saying something like it's the... If you want to win with your locals with like a <laughs> not meta deck, that's the best. I think, but I, I said then that this is the best deck to do it. And I mean, maybe it's not a meme deck, but it's it's still not top of the meta by any means. It's like it's a it's a decent deck. All right, next one, empowered uh, manager. How do you guys think tournament play in its current format will shape meta choices? I got a couple local one case coming up, and also playing um, red purple, but disliking big nine cost dragon. I think Moyne also brought red purple. For example, red purple is consistently over fifty percent of top eights. Do you just play a red purple super tact against the mirror, or look for a more sleeper play like blue steel that took second in the tourney this past? Sunday. This is a great question. This is a great question. Um, so first of all, congratulations on not liking the nine cost dragon. We hate it. <laughs> I think it's yeah. too slow. I, there's some some of these like 
Amethyst Steel Wait, and even Sapphire Steel though, decks Moin. where we maybe did, it's late game pretty okay, but we, we don't want to get to that late game. We hmm? play the nine cost dragon. We just choose to pay um, two less for it. Or three less for it. We choose to pay yes. three less. We play Tremaine. Yeah. Um, I just, the nine cost dragon is just at this point, I don't know. I agree with Moy. It seems a bit too slow. And Lady Tremaine, like as soon as you nine cost dragon someone and lady, someone Lady Tremaine you back, it's like, oh, they printed better cards in set two, I think. Yeah, but that's actually, I actually kind of want to cut down on, on Lady Tremaine. I know, but, I know, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I still, I, zero Maleficent is, a Maleficent dragon is, is perfect. Um, so, uh, about the other questions, I think, as we discu- discussed earlier, we don't really think that the Amethyst, uh, the Ruby Amethyst counters, or at least I think that Ruby Amethyst counters are just pretty bad against other decks that are still played too much. You can't just f- expect to just face Ruby Amethyst, even if there's a lot of them played, especially in the top eights. So those counters I, I wouldn't really ever play over just a well-built, well-tacked uh, Ruby Amethyst version. I think Sapphire Steel is an option, but not not for being a counter. It's just um, also, going into the tournament, um, Haymaker, who got second, mm-hmm. and also a lot of the Pixelgong writers said, like, Sapphire Steel is a really good deck, but it's really good at beating other Steel decks. Uh, and Ruby Amethyst is, is a somewhat close matchup, but it's, it's not its strength. It's, like, what you don't want to face. Haymaker was not happy to see seven Ruby Amethyst in, in the top eight and like, oh, I'm going to crush these guys. They're like, no, this is this is one of the, the worst matchups in, in theory. Um, but I think, and they, they built it very well for that matchup. And in turns, it was very winnable for them. And I think now also the Ruby Amethyst will adapt because Sapphire Steel will get more popular. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll see more teeth and ambitions and more evasives and uh, maybe a little bit of a different top end, maybe a few actually Elsa 8 cost making its comeback. But I think both of those decks are greatly positioned in the meta. And I would uh, very, very often choose to play one of these decks instead of just trying to play a weird counter that yeah. may uh, lose to mediocre decks, but beat the best deck. Yeah, I mean, I'll go out on a limb. I'll say that I think that playing Emerald Steel right now is just such a incorrect decision. Like you, I mean, if if you're the ma- if you're the master of Emerald Steel and you you just want to play, you're fine. You could top eight, you could win a tournament, but I think it's a bad deck. I I actually think it is a bad deck. It is poorly positioned in the meta game. Its counters are not very are n- not. There's not enough of a margin, and I think the deck it just. I mean, it it is a really bad matchup until like Amber Okay, Steel. but I I think it was and like I think it was an okay bring, for example, for Tia's tournament. But I think going forward, it won't be anymore because Sapphire Steel is going to be more popular, and that deck sucks yeah. against Sapphire Steel. Well, you say that, but we don't actually have the metagame breakdown of Thea's tournament. So, like, we have the top eight breakdown. I don't think we got mm-hmm. like aggregated metagame stats. I think there was probably a lot of Amber Steel in there. There's probably a lot of Amber Steel. Sure. Yeah, it just didn't make it in the top eight, which is funny. We can probably discuss that a little bit later, but zero of those made top eight. So, so, I mean, it's very anecdotal by my matchups where... Uh, actually, I, I played against, in the Swiss, I played against two Sapphire Steel Rams. I, mm-hmm. I beat one of them, lost to the other, which I lost to in top eight again. Then I played against one Ember Steel Dwarfs. Then I played against the Mufasa. But after the first three wins, I faced four mirrors in a row. And the last... Okay, the last one was... Uh, yeah, blue red. Ruby Sapphire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one thing I want to say here in regards to this comment that I think uh, playing a teched Ruby Amethyst deck or playing um, it, it's it's actually a pretty hard ask because the the meta is going to be in flux. 
so like everybody everybody that's playing Ruby Amethyst has the opportunity to play a, a game uh, a deck that's tech for the mirror. Everybody knows the top eight percentages. Everybody knows that they're going to be playing at this that deck. But I think that you're you're sort of on this hamster wheel where you have to be one step ahead of the metagame every single week, and you have to be able to beat the other decks that are tech to beat you, or you're just going to play this tempo oriented mirror matchup. It's a hard. Also, act. you have to not be two or three steps ahead of the of the wheel. Yeah. You, you might just hurt yourself then. So it's it's very uh, contextual. Yeah, it, it's it's tough to be like play like a super tech deck for the mirror. Um, it it seems like it seems like it would be like an easier answer, but it's actually like a really hard ask because it's like you lose a lot of equity in these other matchups, which are absolutely represented in the metagame. And like you can get to this extent where you go way too down the rabbit hole, and it's like the the base Ruby on this list is just better than you. Even though you're completely tech, it's like they just left in the big Elsas and the draw engine, and it's just like oh, you're potentially. Yeah, for example, guy. right now, um, I think Tiff and okay, we need to talk about Tiff and Ambitions for a second mm-hmm. because I think Tiff and Ambitions uh, was wasn't wasn't great for a long time, but I think it I think it was good and it was pretty bad, and now it's really good again. Um, <clears throat> so it's very dependent on the meta. Um, the reason I think it's good again is. Um, so people are taking Fidget for the mirror. It's very good against that. Mm-hmm. Um, people are playing Cruella or Jafar, the three twos that can kill evasives in Sapphire Steel. And being able to remove those is a very important piece of why I think it can still be Ruby Amethyst favorite. But for that, you so they are taking for you, and in turn, you need to be taking with the teeth and ambitions. Um, so what happens now that you're taking teeth and ambitions and your opponent doesn't play Fidget in the mirror? Thief and Ambition is actually a pretty bad card. Or you're playing against a deck that's not Sapphire Steel with the 3-2s that kill your mini. And then uh, the Thief actually are not great. So it's all... You need to be very on top of what you're expecting and what could be brought in, in yeah. the tournaments you're going into. Thief and Ambitions is also like an ultra-contextual card, which in in our sort of deck building ethos, especially when it comes to Ruby Amethyst, we tend to actually not play those cards. We tend to stray very far away from like very contextual and what I would consider to be fundamentally underpowered cards. And I think Teeth and Ambitions actually falls under that category. It somewhat it has a bit of equity that it can be sung and cast for free, but ultimately doing two damage to your own thing to do two damage to something else for the exchange of a card is like not fantastic. I, would, I really don't want cards like that in my deck. But if the metagame is in a place where that beats these like very, very specific niche cards that are extremely good against me, or like I auto win the game by killing things like Mother Gothel, um, then yeah, I might play it. But this is a card that I always don't want in my deck list, and I will only include if I have to, because it's it's a, not a good card. <laughs> it's, it's not good by itself, at least. And <clears throat> All right, last one here is from Darren. They say, listener question. Y'all are somewhat successful in, from <coughs> some somewhat successful card gamers from other games. What skills do you think have been valuable in transferring to Lorcana versus which skills do you feel don't transfer from other games um, as well? As a fab player, I'm especially interested in Brendan's answer. Um, I'll let you go first, Morgan, because I or I can go first because um, I do know my answer. I don't know. So basically, I've I mean almost everything translates. I think it's easier to talk about what doesn't translate. And I think coming from major Hearthstone background, I would say. Uh, I mean, it's, it's somewhat translate. It's like, it's still knowing that every decision you make puts you like in a different line that has different paths going from it and you need to be evaluating those. It's just in Hearthstone, maybe there was a discover card, which is like, you get three options from a specific card pool and you need to pick one of those options to get or something like that. And 
knowing all those pools and know like quickly deciding how many outs are there in this pool and how many of these outs I'm am I like how much are these different outs helping me if I if I do hit them or if I if I don't. Um I would say that doesn't translate very well in a game with no no RNG in yeah except the draw RNG in, in Lorcana. So there's actually there's one so Flesh and Blood is an interesting game. It went through quite the evolution of a thought, almost a renaissance of thought at one point. So Flesh and Blood was a game that was played uh, very contextually. It's a hero based game, so people were you know they were focused on the hero, they were focused on synergies, they were doing the ninja thing, they were doing the warrior thing, etc. And they they really built into their deck ethos, and they would play you know maybe not always the best cards. So there was a guy that came around. His name is Michael Hamilton, and he currently plays Flesh and Blood. He was the he was the world champion, or when he won the world championship, and he won tournament after tournament after tournament. And what he did is he played what looked like very very unassuming cards, but Flesh and Blood is a very math balanced game. It's a quantitative balanced game. So he looked for cards that just exceeded the base quantitative value by one, and he just put all of those cards in his decks, and he had an amalgamation of that. And all all his his primary game plan, the synergy of his deck. It was maybe to le less of an extreme as other players, but he would just look on a turn cycle, so his turn and the other player's turn, to get plus one value, plus two value of exchange on all the cards, all the cards that were played that turn, than his opponent. And if you do that more often than not, you will simply just win. That is just the correct decision. It is just correct every single time. And it's this evaluation of, it's like this understanding and evaluation of value in a card game that helps you pick the best cards, and win more games more often. Because we get so caught up in the context of board, what is my opponent thinking, what is my macro game plan, what is my, how do I sequence, like all this stuff, right? But if you just take the lines that end up with the higher, like a higher level of value, more often than not, and I know this is like a weird kind of concept and it's not very well articulated or explained, but if you just eke more value out than your opponent, it's actually all that matters. You'll win vast majority of games by just outvaluing your opponent. And it's like these con these age-old concepts from Magic, like two for one. But in Flesh and well, Blood, actually, it's like plus one. There's one concept I want to talk about that translates very well. It's uh, Because we're talking about value, and it, it came up in top eight where some, mm. I think, there was one specific game, I, but we don't need to talk about which game it was or anything, but there was one game where a Ruby Amethyst player had the game in the back, and all they needed to do was um, seal the game. And then I saw, I, I think it was like bouncing a, uh, a draw Merlin, which I really didn't agree on, because it was like, I think it was very, of, that was like the best play in terms of generating value and stuff for a very long game, but it was like, the cards you're drawing don't matter anymore. You, you could have just done like a little bit of a faster play that ends the game quicker and doesn't maybe somehow give your opponent a way to, 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 to get away back into the game. Um, so it's like, the concept I'm talking about is uh, that cards, cards you draw... So, okay, having a high hand size gives you options to, to make uh, more efficient plays, and that has some value. But other than that, um, drawing cards that you're never going to play, uh, or cards that you have in, in your hand at the end of the game, they, they don't really have any value. Mm -hmm. And that, it's not zero, right? There's still your opponent will play differently against different hand size and stuff, but they don't really have value. Yeah, and you okay. need to. It happens a bit in Snap as well. It's like uh, cards you don't play, like cards your opponent doesn't play. They aren't actually advantageous as much. Um, but yeah, so in, in Flesh and Blood, this I basically what this guy did is he he sort of 
cemented how people look at value in a card game, or at least in Flesh and Blood, and it completely changed the way of the game, how people evaluated all play lines, deck building, etc. And I've just taken that concept and I, I apply it to all stages of a card game. Card game card evaluation individually, uh, deck building, gameplay, etc. And while it isn't the golden rule, it isn't the end-all be-all, you can't use it in every single situation. There's this kind of, the Pareto on it, which is the 80-20 rule, is very, very like 80% of the time, it is correct. Like it is absolutely the the example and not the exception that this is correct. You should just be taking the highest value line. I think players get caught up in their own head, they get caught up in context, they get caught up in synergy and like all this fluff that exists around card games. But card games are really just outvaluing your opponent at the end of the day. Um, there are exceptions where that is not the case, but the vast majority of the time is just how do I get more value? And that's why we, I think when it comes to deck building and card evaluation, it looks like I get really lucky, I think, in Lorcana. But all of that stems from this ideology and way of thinking about card games that, that came from Flesh and Blood, that came from this guy named Michael Hamilton. And I think if you just look at things that way, you'll be right more often than not. And then you can layer all the other stuff on top. You can layer all the context stuff on top. But first, it's always value. Always value and exchange of value. So that that's what I've learned from from other card games, and honestly, that applies to like life as well. It was just it was just it was so crazy to see a game like Flesh and Blood, which has a million dollar pro tour, very 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 competitive game, go through this inflection point where the complete where the way players looked at, approached, played, built decks, and just interacted with the game fundamentally and completely changed when one player just pointed out one simple fact, which is. You just have to be a little bit over quantitatively. It's crazy. <clears throat> All right, let's go into the main topic, which is let's talk about these deck lists. So, uh, Moyen, I have your new Ruby Amethyst deck list, and I want to talk about Steel Sapphire. Steel Sapphire is something that I've been wanting to talk about all pod. We put it off to the end because it's a big topic. I think we kind of, I think this deck list is very, very good. I think this is a deck list that I, compl- I missed. And I think it's way, way, way more powerful uh, than I had given it credit for. Uh, we were talking about in the past couple of pods, the past couple of weeks, we were looking for things to be good in Ruby Amethyst or well-rounded to the metagame. I think this is that list. <clears throat> I have anecdotally, I have a little bit of experience playing against this list and also playing it into Ruby Amethyst. I like being on this deck list. And I know this deck list is very good into non-Ruby Amethyst decks as well. It just feels like it has a lot of agency against Ruby Amethyst specifically. Um, again, deck list in the description. Uh, but it has things like Cruella to deal with those minis. It has the smashes. It's also ramping really quickly. It has these like... I mean, it. the issue, the biggest thing why this deck list I think is good into Ruby Amethyst right now, and I know Ursula is a problem, um, is because Ruby Amethyst doesn't play removal in the form of like dragon fire or anything really outside of um of be prepared anymore so it can't deal with ramp out threats very well because you if 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 they're ramping out beasts and bells and they're they're taxing your need to have be prepared so early and they're making you really have it very very quickly also this this deck gets a lot of card advantage because of how quickly it can dump its hand in whole new world and wheel away, you know, potentially five cards out of the Ruby Amethyst players, draw full seven. It just feels very, very good. Um, like a very strong, well-rounded list, and I'm a big fan of it. And right now, to be honest, and this could change by next week, this is my favorite deck to play in the metagame. There's one critique that Moyne has that I think is super, that is very relevant and valid, which is this deck, unfortunately, it wants to see a curve. It wants to see <laughs> Fishbone Quill. It wants to see some sort of ramp early with a whole new world. 
so it can ramp things out and then you know hold the world, get its hand back. That that if it doesn't get that curve, it's a significantly less uh, less powerful deck. Nevertheless, I love how this deck functions in the in the early game, the mid game, and especially the late game. It just feels like it has so many choices. I'm a huge fan. It it, it does a lot of things right. Um, so it is very it is very dependent on ramp into a big drop and then singing holy world, maybe even finding second holy world. But and it's ex- extremely good when it does that. But it it can do that c- quite a lot of times. And I think uh, Haymaker, who got second in TS tournament, did a lot of things right in taking the, so in taking this deck towards where we are with this. I think there's a lot of things after testing this deck more um, on the numbers, which I to- totally agree on. But I want to highlight the things that they did right and why their deck was specifically better into Ruby Amethyst than maybe the normal versions would be, even if this deck was like this color combination wasn't the most popular to begin with. Um, so what did they do right? They, they uh, brought back the inclusion of a Cruella type card to, to deal with mini. That was one thing. Especially, so they beat me twice 2-0, which I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, little bit mad about, but um, it also came down a, at least a little bit to my minis just being terrible against them because they we are just playing uh, Cruella on two and I don't play Teeth. And in top eight, they even knew that I don't have Teeth. So they could completely play for that. And without the evasive threats um, coming online early, the, the matchup does get a, a lot rougher. The, the books helped, but okay, let's let's talk more about um, why their Sapphire Steelix are good. So it's, it's one, it's, it's bringing back the Cruellas. It's two, um, the, the different top end. So what, what happened? Could they or what they usually play. I think it's like some play a lot of copies of uh, Seven Cross Cinderella. Mm. Some play stuff like Gaston. Yeah. And that, that stuff's okay. But I think Tamatoa is this... Um, for one card, it's just a huge threat. And even if it gets removed, it, does, it, it did its job. So I think Tamatoa is like the best uh, late game threat you can be playing in, in this deck out of those options. And they decided to play two Tamatoas. And then the other thing is that... Um, yeah, so the other thing is that if people were playing one of, uh, some of these one-cost cycle cards, they were always playing um, Develop Your Brain. And Develop Your Brain smoothens your curve early a little bit, so it makes your deck a little bit more consistent, but only a very little bit. And they were playing um, Nothing, nothing to, hide. to Hide instead. Uh, only at two, co- I, I mean, at two copies. I think I, I want to be going to probably around three copies. Um, and it's extremely crucial in the matchup. Uh, because it just... Uh, Ruby Amethyst can do so many different things. But knowing the hand, uh, you can do so much better plays against yeah. what they have available available to them. And that that's that's true for sure. But especially knowing how many or whether they have be prepared and then de- deciding whether you want to wheel or whether you just want to beat this hand. Um, for, uh, the second wheel, the first wheel you just always do, uh, usually. But, and, and how how much you can go all, all in and how much pressure you have to apply. All of that knowledge is very easily obtained by, by nothing tried and it's not that big of a downside in other matchups. You can still cycle mm-hmm. it, you can still use it, I think. So these three things, I think, help them a lot in having a, a decent matchup against Ruby Amethyst. Yeah. There's, um, so th- this color combination is just in set one. 
and it was seen as like it honestly got some traction early it was like the combo deck it beat like the ruby amethyst deck and then it was shit and there's a reason why that is is because there's some significant things that changed in rise of the floodborne and that's the addition of card draw that is not tied to a whole new world and that is so ridiculous for the stack the fact that you can early wheel and then you don't have to wheel later in the game and you can actually ink that wheel with something like a uh, fishbone quill and you can draw cards outside because sometimes wheel is not good if your opponent's on zero cards you're on three or you're both on zero cards wheel can be bad it can be bad yeah. it's maybe or your not opponent's on six cards and you know none of them yeah. to be prepared and you're you're pressuring you you can also just hold the wheel but this deck now has hiram flaversham plus the popsicle so it has a massive draw engine and it has beast this deck has access to so much draw outside of a whole new world that it, it's so flexible right you have the threat of wheel so your opponent wants to dump their hand. They're like, oh shit, I'm going to get wheeled. I need to dump my hand so there isn't massive card disadvantage. But at the same time, you can just not wheel and you can hear him Flavisham draw cards and you can put down a beast, give it resist potentially and draw cards that way. So you're just like, yeah. you're this you're this control deck with an insane draw engine that also has the threat of like turbo dumping its hand into ink and then wheeling. And then you have things like Bell was just such a mid card in set one. It was so mid. I was like, why does anybody play this card? It was way overpriced. But Bell is like so powerful in these scenarios because, but you know, even when you aren't able to see their entire hand, like ramping this quick and into Bell and with Ruby Amethyst not playing things like Dragonfire or even Top End Maleficent, they only have, be it's like they can really only have be prepared or you're questing for five. Yeah. And it's just like these Bells are such a threat. There's so many axes, axes in the game when you're literally asking your, your Ruby Amethyst opponent, you have to have be prepared and you have to have seven ink or you're just going to lose this game. Yeah. And which you need to be doing because if you give them time, they will just get to 20 no matter what you do. So this this is like the way to this is sustained pressure, but also pressuring very, very quickly uh, for having having that answer. And I think the the biggest upgrade, as you said, is like uh, the beast, but not just for card, card draw. It's also just the best card to be singing your whole new world. Like the, yeah. you want to be ramping into five or six. And now you have Cogsworth, Beast and Tinkerbell. And those are just really, really, really good cards to be. Uh, ramping out and then singing Honey World with. And Cogsworth, Cogsworth, uh, Cogsworth is such an underrated card. When you get Co Cogsworth is just so annoying when it hits the board and especially when you get two. Um, and other against like Amber Steel, if you land some Cogsworth, like they just can't do anything. They can't do anything yeah. against you. It's it's against ridiculous. Against Ruby Amethyst, it's, it's not, not a particularly good card, but against any other Steel deck, this is the reason you you will just not be losing to other Steel decks with, with Sapphire Steel. Yeah, so you have this you have this deck that has a massive draw engine can go latent can go into the late game is is putting your opponent on like they have to take two vastly different lines should they dump their hand uh, to play around a whole new world or should they play for card advantage like should they be casting friends on the other side so they can go late against you because you're drawing cards of hero flamersham two wildly different approaches so they have to be playing hedging against both but then you also have. Like you, you also have things like grab your sword, and you have like the just these inherent cards that are very good against all these other shit decks in the metagame, like aggro. Like you are just good against aggro. You're good against discard. Like everything about this deck is so impressive to me. Um, I really love all the all the axes it complete it, it competes on. My only issue with this deck is that the, the times you don't have fishbone quill, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, which I, which I want to touch on, which because I think it's very easy to, um lose a lot of percentages playing this deck by keeping middling cards in your mulligan. It, I think... So this... I don't know if this is a hot tech, but I, I've i caught myself throwing away Mickey Mouse. The ramp Mickey Mouse. I think Mickey Mouse is a nice backup, but if I don't have... If I don't have the the Quill, I want the Quill. 
Yep. I don't I don't really care about Mickey. That that's a huge your win percentage when you have Mickey on three or if you have Quill on three, that that's the margin's too great. Yep, I agree. I think that Quill is like Quill, it's Quill plus it's really Quill plus uh plus whole new world, but like it's so critical to be doing that because that in the early game, right? So not mid game like him, but in the early game, that's the fundamentally unfair thing you do. Like that is unfair. Inking a card a turn plus fishbone quilling something. So like turbo inking and then casting a whole new mm-hmm. world, singing a whole new world, by the way, not casting it off of a five drop, whether it be Cogsworth or Beast. That that's unfair. Like that is really, really tough for Ruby Amethyst or any other control or slow deck to deal with, even Amber Steel to deal with. Um and I think that there's I mean just inherently again something like Amber Steel, so other wheel decks, being a ramp deck. Very, very good. It's very it's very yeah. nice to be a ramp deck. So the only deck that you're like really sad to see if you're playing Sapphire Steel is Ruby Steel. Because they're also ramping. You don't run a wheel for them and they have all the crazy good red cards mm-hmm. uh, to be drawing into. Like uh, the two for ones in Tremaine, Melifts and Dragon, Be Prepared, um, even Maui. They, they just have really good card quality and the wheel becomes bad against them. So I think that's the only really bad matchup other than that the deck's very well positioned. Yeah, I love this deck, and honestly, you've probably heard it, you can hear it in my voice, but I can't overstate like how impactful this deck is in the metagame, especially after making, you know, getting being a finalist in Theos Tournament. Um, it's on everybody's radar. I was playing Pixelborn last night. It's all over the place. I think the deck is really, really good, um, and it's a really fun deck to play, too. Uh, I don't like the the needing the fishbone quill part, but drawing my entire deck, that's fun. <laughs> All right, boy, let's talk about the... Um, let's quickly talk about the per, uh, the Lorcana Twins. So Lorcana Twins won Theos Tournament, um, Poppy, or yeah, Ruby Amethyst. So we'll talk about a couple pieces, and we're going to talk about your new Ruby Amethyst list. So they included Cusco, the two-drop. It says uh, Cusco is a two-drop. Amethyst, it's a one-two, cost two, can't be inked, quest for one. It says, when this character is banished, you may draw a card. So this character can sing teeth on the other side, kill itself, draw a card. <laughs> um, I mean, it's also, I guess, good in the control mirror as well as a, like a pesky threat. They played two fidgets. Fidgets are what we talked about. That's the three, two, the evasive. Um, and other than that, pretty standard deck list. I mean, they did have the Ursula package and the one Elsa, uh, but anything else? I mean, I think I pointed out the cards. And, and that, the two, what was and that? the two spell books. Mm-hmm. Um, which are actually not that common in, in most Ruby Amethyst lists. So in general, it's, I think it's, Kind of close to what we, how we like to build the deck, uh, especially now. But um, I think the Kuzco is definitely worth talking about. I, I've heard that it's one way Ruby Amethyst uh, can or needs to play to try to beat the Sapphire Steel deck is by just going one, two, three, but where, where your two and your three drops don't actually bounce something to your end. So you actually have three, three threats on the board. I don't actually think that's the case because Sapphire Steel just plays a two drop and then. Yeah, where you Prince trade Eric. one of your ones or twos that you, as soon as it quests. So I think Kuzco is somewhat of like fine-ish card in the mirror because it's just pesky threats where you just want to play small shitters so opponent's cards are inefficient against it, especially to remain. And then they all just threaten some lore and without losing hand advantage. So Kuzco can be decent for that. But in general, I'm not a big fan of Kuzco. Other than that, I think the, the deck's very well built for, for that tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And congratulations to Lord Conatwin for winning the biggest Look on a tournament today. All right, Morgan, let's talk about your list. Uh, again, all this description below, as always, remind people of that. Let's talk about your list, your your sort of current iteration of Ruby Amethyst. Um, you mm-hmm. do have the two Peter Pans in there. Anything else? I mean, the one the one Pop and Elsa cutting down Tremaine. You have three Teeth and Ambitions. Just talk to me a little bit about why you've made these choices specifically and why you yep. think this is well-positioned in the metagame now. Okay, so it's, it's similar to what I've brought to the tournament. In the tournament, I played 10 one-drops. I also played two Pascal, which I wasn't very impressed by. They were mostly 
Um, they were mostly for uh, consistency for my Snake Mimon too, so that I always have a one drop on one. But I thought that they would could be doing more work than that in the mirror, where they're just like uh, still an evasive threat uh, that will get their law off and that threatens uh, to kill Mini Mouse with modern crap. But uh, I think I'm I'm more down on the card now. I think eight one drops is is good enough, and we can use those slow slots elsewhere. Other than that, I think Lady Tremaine is a of course very very good card, but everyone's playing around it, and uh, it doesn't actually. So after all the board wipes, people just play their big threat and and a small threat, and I think even if even with Teeth, uh, usually the Lady Tremaine will only eat a Shedder. and then it's not that great of a card. It's still a card I want in my deck, but it's it's not a card I want four copies of in my deck anymore. Uh, I still like the Peter Pan Shadow. I think especially with Teeth and uh, with all the other cards being susceptible to Teeth emissions, I I want to keep playing this card that's not susceptible to two damage, so still at three, uh, three HP. Um, so I still still like that. I still like the one scar. I, I like having different late game options where uh, your opponent needs to make totally different plays to play around either of them, and then they might just be playing into the other threat. Um, we still play the four Ursula, and I think one Elsa can be very good because now with Sapphire Steel and also other like Amethyst Steel decks emerging in the one K tournament, you uh, this is a very very good threat that. Because I still it, it follows the lines of um, this deck doesn't need to win outvalue your opponent. This deck doesn't need to win win the board, but this is so good at stopping some law um, and threatening more law, setting up uh, for your opponent to have maybe have to use a, a weird be prepared or uh, or just 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 giving you this final turn to to get over the line to twenty, and it's it's also very. And a card people won't play around too much because usually people play zero or maybe one copy of it. So I think it's really good. And then I think against about Tifa and Ambitions, which is now also included in the deck, we've talked a lot on the spot on why this card's good. Again, it's the Cruella, it's the Jafar, it's maybe the Gothel from Mufasa, but it's also if your opponent wants to be taken for Minimouse or Fidget, you can also hit that. So that card uh, is, is a lot better than it used to be. So mm-hmm. this is the new list. I still think this is the best deck in the game, and I still think this is a little bit favored into Sapphire Steel, but I think Sapphire Steel is at least very, very close to the same power level as this deck. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So we made a claim a couple weeks ago. We're like, we're going to break the metagame. We're going to make, we're going to find a list that, that beats Ruby Amethyst. And it's kind of true. Um, actually, it was uh, somebody else did it. So we have we yeah. have steel, so steel sapphire. T- turns out, um, <laughs> having highly regarded tournaments that people care about, even if this wasn't like the biggest tournament. I mean, it was the biggest tournament we had so far, but it wasn't like a crazy big tournament. It's just having the Steven tournaments where people care care about them with decent pricing uh, will just evolve matters faster than any prep group ever, prep group ever can. Yeah, I think some people will look at this tournament and they'll they'll, they'll pick out the narrative. It's like seven of eight of top uh, of Ruby Amethyst in the top eight, and they're like that. That's the narrative, right? But I really, mm-hmm. I think the top sixteen it is a lot of other color combinations, by the way. So it could have looked vastly different. Um, but the real narrative is, in my opinion, the Sapphire Steel deck that made the finals. I think it will make a huge impact on the metagame. Will drastically change upcoming top eights. Like this is a big deal. 
the seven out of eight Ruby Amethyst, I know it looks unhealthy, but if you look at top 16, it could have been vastly different. Uh, it was very close to very close to being very, very different from that. We had Ducky losing the losing his winning in uh, and blue red. We had you know, st- uh, discard decks up there. We had, of course, Amber Steel up there. It just happened to bubble in a way because there was a big bubble in this tournament that all these uh, Ruby Amethyst made it in. But this Steel Sapphire list is the big takeaway, in my opinion, from the tournament. This is a big shift in the metagame. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll be talk- go ahead. Yeah, it's it's it's. I just want people to know it's not because this deck got second that this is completely uh, shifting the meta game. I mean, it's somewhat because of it, but also that's only the reason more people are giving it a chance, are uh, experimenting with it, trying it out, more testing it, and actually then also coming to the conclusion that it's a very very good deck and um, has a place at the top of the meta game a little bit below. Uh, we'll be this. Awesome. Well, if you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it. The number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps more than I can put into words. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at podcast Decklist, tournament reports, anything we discuss is in the description below. So check it out. Um, hit the subscribe on YouTube while you're there. We're on Twitter, Brendan APG, Moin underscore HS. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>